Welcome, everyone, to the Extraordinary Women Podcast, and this is episode number 113. Well, today I'm chatting with Rebecca Plotnick, the founder and creator of the fantastic Everyday Parisian blog. Rebecca and I truly share this love of Paris and all things French, I guess you'd call us Francophiles, and both of us now either travel or live between two countries, the U.S. and, of course, France. Well, Rebecca created her blog a number of years ago after she returned from living in France for three years. It was a way for her to bring all that she loved about France back to the U.S., In her everyday Parisian blog, Rebecca shares travel tips, clothing, habits, culture, and even cooking suggestions. All these wonderful things that mixed together make up the French joie de vie. Rebecca also created and runs the print shop where she is a full-time photographer and sells her beautiful photography of Paris, of Italy, and elsewhere. So let's get started. Welcome to the Extraordinary Women Podcast, where we are all about supporting women over 40 to create and live a fabulous next chapter. You are in a unique generation of women, unlike any before you, with opportunities and longevity that means it's time to intentionally design your fabulous next chapter rather than just live it. That is what the Extraordinary Women magazine and podcast are all about. Let's get started. So today we are talking to Rebecca Plotnick, who is the founder and creator of Everyday Parisian. And she's going to tell us or let us in a little bit on this journey from a young woman going to Paris and deciding that she was in love and had to create a business around this. So tell us, take us back. So I got laid off in 2008 and that's pretty much when everything started. I had photographs from a time when I studied abroad and I went to Paris for the first time. So I had those images, they were on Etsy. They started to generate income. It was like 2009, 2010. And then I did a bunch of research, saved money. I was babysitting at the time because I didn't have a lot, couldn't find a job. I was just took that money and then airline miles from my previous job, went (laughs) to Paris on a whim for 10 days. My family thought I was nuts. They're like, you have no money. What are you doing? I'm like... I feel like I think about this a lot because Instagram wasn't around and I didn't have a blog. I didn't have a social presence. It was like, if I fail, no one's going to know. No one one knows who I am. Like I get all flat on my face. It was scary, but I was like, I don't know. I'll just figure it out. So I stayed in this little hotel in the seventh. It was like a hundred dollars a night great spot to like, it was safe. It was good because I was doing solo travel, you know? So I was teaching myself how to photograph digitally as well as learn the city of Paris in those 10 days. It's getting lost, not having any like blogs or social media to really navigate what I was doing. I did some research online to find the hotel, but 
That was Besides it. that, I had, yeah, that was it. I just found the notebooks actually at my dad's house of like how much things cost and like how I was going to make it work and piece this together because it was like, I really didn't have much. It was really nice. I didn't have any big expectations. I just kind of went in blindly. I photographed, I explored. It was spring, but it was freezing. There were cherry blossoms and different things popping up, but it was just fading. It was like end of March, early April. And I went home, put the stuff on Etsy and it just started taking off. Like it was, I would say it's instant. If you look at it from like the outside, it was instant, but I also was on Etsy for like two years without anything happening. So it was like a lot of grunt work to like figure out what was trending and how to list things and the prices and, you know, where I was going to print things and how to ship them. E-commerce wasn't really a thing back in 2008. Like Etsy just started in 2008, 2009. So it was one of the first. So it was just navigating through a whole different thing. And none of my friends were entrepreneurs at that point. They were all doing office jobs and corporate nine to fives. Yeah, very corporate. On the weekends, I was packing up a car, taking it all to the farmer's markets in the suburbs, setting it up at 7 a.m., just meeting people in person. And it's crazy because even now people will be like, oh, I bought that from you at the market. And I was like, that was so long ago. It's crazy. I mean, I'm so lucky to still be able to do this. You said some things that were like super important here. And that is that you knew Etsy before you actually, the business, you know, the photographs from your most recent at that time Paris trip took off. So you learned a platform, but also you didn't rely just on that platform. You were at markets. Oh, yeah. No, I was doing markets, which is good. I mean, Etsy was my, so I was babysitting, mm-hmm. which I was a night nanny and a day nanny. Oh my if God. you can mind, I know working 10 to seven, two days a week. And then in between working during the days babysitting at night and then doing these markets. So putting everything together and then you've got to put together this inventory that you hope is going to sell. I didn't have a ton of money. So it was like printing things, producing things. And then we didn't have tap to pay or swipe or anything. I had to take either as cash or it was you fill out a PayPal form with your credit card and then you hope and trust me that when I drive back home and then go online (laughs) that like I can read their handwriting and they were trustworthy enough that the transaction is going to go through and the products that I gave to them would actually be paid for you know yeah yes yeah I mean it was just crazy but so much learning with Etsy in terms Mm of how things work blogs weren't really big so I was in these chat rooms So I was chatting with everyone when the baby was sleeping. I was, oh, check out the new listing I have. Like it was so archaic to be, you know, if you look back to what it is now. Yeah. So you had a blog then though, it sounds like. I had a blog when I first moved to Paris, like around that Paris time. It was like rebeccaplonic.blogspot.com. It was the worst uh, (laughs) because I didn't know what I was doing. That was the beauty of it. Nobody knew what they were doing. (laughs) But the crazy thing is, is I got a lot of traffic from it. So I was blogging about, I was like, today I went to the boulangerie and I picked up a baguette and then I walked down the street and this is what it looked like. And here's the bikes and the gardens in bloom. And people would be like, oh my God, give me more. And I was okay. And so I would write this, but it wasn't like anything the blog yesterday. It wasn't consistent. Didn't really know about formatting and tag words, keywords and all these different things. 
So I learned a lot and that we just directed that traffic because that site was still live to my blog now. It had to be a redirect because when you looked me up, I was still ranking and I hadn't touched it in years. The blog like, spot. Yes. I wish I could have taken all that traffic yeah. and moved it. But so blogging was a little thing. When I was doing all these trips to Paris, like here and there, saving money. And then in 2012, I came up with a brilliant idea that I was like, well, if I'm going to Paris and photographing the city, why don't I just move there? I'm kind of over the touristy stuff. Like I don't need to go to this museum or that museum. I just want to live like a local. And I just want to get images as I would living like a local versus I'm going for a weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really different. Totally different. So I packed up my apartment in Chicago, put everything in storage, booked Airbnb, which Airbnb was very, very new. So I booked an Airbnb for three months, moved to Paris in February 1st of 2013 and was there for three months. I didn't know anyone. And just, yeah, there were no Google Maps. I didn't have like a SIM card or a cell service there. So it was just like, getting lost, discovering things. The great thing about that time period was the city was still in winter. Mm -hmm. I was praying for snow. Like every single day, I was like watching the weather and it actually snowed, I think in January and February, which is so rare in Paris. Mm -hmm. So my friends were like, I hate to break it to you, but the chance that it's going to snow again is like, it rarely snows in Paris. It's You're not going to get snow. Don't be disappointed. And I was like, it's going to snow. And so I moved February 1st. I think we had one snow March 12th. And then there was another snow. And it was everything I could have dreamt of and more. Like as a photographer, as someone that can capture it. And it was like way before Instagram was really popular. So you could just walk around and people were in droves trying to get likes and yes, (laughs) the shot. It was, I'm going to do my normal thing, wake up before everyone else, go shoot the city. And I have some... I wish I had more, but like what I had, it was amazing. Mm. So I have the stairs leading up to Sacre-Cœur in the snow. And then I have Place de Vosges and I'm standing in it. Just this guy who was the concierge was mm-hmm. like, do you want a photo of you? And I was like, I'm dressed horribly. Like it's freezing. I'm wet and snow everywhere. And I was like, actually, okay. Yes. Because I don't want to forget this moment. And I was so happy that he just took a photo of me. but. Those first three months. So we went from like snow and then you have this transition to the city opening up and being in full bloom. I was a little bummed because cherry blossom season was super late that year, which it's not now. It's like end of March, early April. At the very end, the city just exploded into blossoms everywhere. And I have photos of every progression of the city. And it was just so amazing to experience that. And then I went home, my sister had a baby, that was her first one. And it was important for me to be there. And then I went back, you know, it just became this addiction and renting apartments for the next three years, going back from the States to Paris and just capturing and expanding my catalog of images and knowledge of the city. So at that point, though, your business was selling the photographs. Is that right? Yes. A hundred percent. When I moved in 2013, my sole income was Etsy. Wow. that's Which is so scary. I mean, so scary. I did (laughs) 
and of course, like you have these lulls in business, you know, ebbs and flows. And I remember getting to Paris, it was like February 1st and it was quiet, like crickets. And I was like, oh my gosh, no one's buying anything. I move over here. Okay. How am I going to make this work if I don't make any money? It was just, you go down this rabbit hole because you're surviving as an artist. How are you going to make this happen? But Luckily, things picked up and everything was fine. And I bought more images and was able to just kind of build my business with that off of Paris. But you also, tell me, Rebecca, if this is true, it sounds to me like you got on the rabbit hole, but you also talked to yourself during that time period and just get out and take photographs. Don't think about it. You can't do anything about it. Is that right? Totally. Because I got laid off, I had this fear of money and like mm-hmm. always wanting to have backups. Plan B, plan C. Yes, exactly. <laughs> My fiance totally makes fun of me because I always have a plan B for everything. <laughs> the thing is, I saved up enough money from an art fair at the end of 2012 okay. in Chicago. So I was able to pay in full for the apartment for the three months in Paris. So it wasn't, oh, I have to make rent tomorrow. Like I can't afford this. I was like, cool. Rent's covered for the next three months, which was different mindset. And then I'm like, I just have to eat mm-hmm. and like get around and do things. It was actually really funny because I assumed that I wouldn't know or I wouldn't make friends. The host of the Airbnb, he showed me around and I was, what time's the last Metro? Am I safe as a female, like being here alone? And he was telling me the last Metro and what time I should be home. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to read books go to cafes, I'll be in bed by like nine, you know, (laughs) I didn't know a soul, you know. And then on Valentine's Day, I'm out walking on Rue des Abbesses, just it's pouring down rain, I bought this red umbrella, walking, getting a baguette, and this guy yells at me in English, he's like, hey, hey, you. And I was like, me? And he's like, oh my gosh, you speak English. And I was like, yeah, of course. And he's like, do you mind just hopping in this shot? We're filming something. And I was like, Okay. Turns out it was the Avengers TV show pilot. Oh my God. (laughs) Which was crazy. I mean, so I'm like an extra and the guy was so secretive at the time because it was so like, it, I don't think it ever took off the actual TV show, but there was so much like stuff on the internet about it. He's like, I can't tell you what we're filming. It's top secret. Just trust me. And he was just like hinting that it was like big. And I was like, I have no idea. And then I hung out with them because they were filming for a while. And they're like, I'm going to give you our phone numbers. We'll text later. Like, maybe you want to meet up. So I was like, yeah, sure. And nothing all day. And I was like, okay, it's fine. You know, I'll just do my own thing. It's Valentine's Day. And I get a text like late. And they're just like, do you want to come meet up with us? And I was like, wait, I have plans in Paris. Like, I I know people. And so I went to their hotel. And then all of a sudden, they're like, come on, come on. And they just like pushed me in a van. We went to Crazy Horse at like 10 p.m. How fun. And then we went to a club afterwards. And they like pulled me aside. And they're like, you can never tell anyone. Well, now I can. But they're like, don't tell anyone about this because we're filming and it could get out. And they're like, we're watching your social media. So like for like months, I was like, I'm an extra in a show. But I can't tell you what it was like this wild, like it was like midnight in Paris, like this magical thing happened. And then after that, I felt like I was just more open to like meeting friends and like speaking to people at cafes, not being like, okay, I'm going to go to bed this time. I was like, I'll 
have dinner by myself somewhere. And if I meet someone, like I'll have a conversation. And so I just opened myself up to like friendships and just the opportunities that Paris had. So it was just really great that happened at that point. So what is it about Paris? So many women fell in love with Paris. And if you haven't gotten on to everydayparisian.com, you need to, because your whole blog is really, as I was looking at it, here I am sitting in Boston, and yet I felt like I was in Paris because of incredible photography and even writing experiences that you've had and recommendations. But what is it about Paris? Honestly, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. It's magic. But I was having a conversation earlier. I feel like I owe so much to Paris because I've like I've been single in Paris. I moved to Paris. I didn't know anyone in the city. I built a business like that's still thriving on the city. I was engaged in Paris. So like it's kind of like the giving tree where it just like continues to give back to me. So I want people to have this amazing experience. I think as a kid it's so aspirational, mm-hmm. like the Eiffel Tower and the magic and there's romance. Every movie that you watch, even for kids like Ratatouille, but then you've got like Midnight in Paris and Sabrina, and all these different films that romanticize a city. And then it does in some way, you've got like a lot of garbage to go through in sure. terms of it's not perfect. No city will ever be perfect, but I think it still holds up to the magic and you yeah. can make it that way. Yeah. My friends joke that it's like a love affair with the city because mm-hmm. I go, I experience magical time and then I like go home and I miss it and then I come back again. So it's like you never have so much of like the bad stuff. It's always just the really good meaty stuff. Yeah. And you're continually, like you said, it's like a love affair. You go back because yeah. it's again, you want some of those feelings. Okay. So you've got the blog. It's on Blogspot, you know. <laughs> yeah. Called and you're selling, you know, you're making your living pretty much off of Etsy with the photographs. But how did you evolve into where it is now? Oh gosh, thank you. A lot of hard work. That was 2010, so it was like 12 years ago. So, Mm -hmm. as I said in the beginning, like nothing is an overnight sensation, and if something is, I think it goes up and then it comes down. So, like as quick as it rises, it falls. I have a lot of foundation below me in terms of support and something that I've built over the years. I'm so grateful for the community that I have. I started on Instagram like around 2013. I had a Rebecca Plotnick account. So I was chatting with a lot of my readers, followers. I don't, that's a weird name to call it, but just that community. And I came back because I was living in Paris for off and on for those years. My dad was like, You've got to grow up. You have to move back to the States, pick a city and put some roots down. So I ended up back in Chicago where I was before. It was like two months into living in Chicago and I was so homesick for Paris. I was like, why am I here? I can't figure out. I'm missing Paris. I was grocery shopping like a Parisian. I was dressing like a Parisian, all these different things. So I was like, why not write a blog about it? And I asked my readers, I was like, what are you doing in your life that brings Paris into it? And people were like, oh, I have a shower curtain that has the Eiffel Tower on it or pot holders. I still remember, I could probably go back and find that exact post. And I was like, wait, these are just tangible items that mean nothing. So I was like, what if I wrote a blog just 
teaching people about the culture and different things about the French life. Yeah. And these people could have a greater knowledge of it and mm-hmm. just bring more depth to it. So I came up with the idea of everyday Parisian, typed it into GoDaddy at like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Got the name. The funny thing is that I like misspelled it. Um, <laughs> That's which, because it was like literally in the dark and I'm typing. And the next day I was on a, a date with a guy. It was a first date. And he was like, so, you know, we we're chatting. And I was like, I'm going to write a blog. And he's like, what's it going to be called? And I was like, Everyday Parisian. And I was like, it was $12. And I was so proud of myself. And he was like, are you sure you spelled it right? <laughs> and I was like, I got to go. And I like left. And I ran home and I looked and I was like, oh my God, I spelled it wrong. Luckily, I was able to spell it correctly and still get it for $12. (laughs) But then building a blog, I didn't realize like how much you actually have to do. And I feel like that first like year or two was a learning process. Mm -hmm. I didn't plan content. I didn't have a lot of content to back up to continue to write because I was so used to this photography life. I'm going to sell some stuff, print orders, put new stuff up. And then I was like, wait, I have to write stuff. I have to like have certain days that have certain new content released. How am I going to get new readers? You had to figure all that out. And I don't really have a lot of blogger friends. And so no one's like taking me under their wing and saying like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be done. It was trial by fire, kind of figuring it out. So I finally got into like a groove and just started writing things just that people were reading and relating to or being helpful. But originally in the blog was going to be all about how to live a French inspired life in the US. Mm-hmm. And the blog launched in July. I went to Paris in October of that year. And I started writing about the trip and everything I saw and ate. And people were like, okay, that what you were writing before is great. But we want like your tips. We want to see what you're doing and where we should eat, where we shouldn't eat. What's the hotels like travel tips? So I was like, okay, so then I had to shift and I went mostly to the other direction where I was like writing this travel blog about Paris from Chicago and just kind of going as often as I could. And then the pandemic hit. Okay. And then it was like, wait, I've built an entire business, a travel business, like travel photography, going to Paris. In 2019, I went to Paris four times. Mm-hmm. So it was like constantly going, bringing new content. Instagram had normal algorithms, you could say, mm-hmm. where you could like continue to grow your audience. So I was like, oh, I'm in a groove. This is great. And then you get hit with this curveball. It's like you can't yeah. travel to Paris for two years. No one wants travel tips because they're not going. They're not even planning on going. I pivoted to this Frenchify series. Like I did Frenchify Your Kitchen because that's where we were all spending our time. So different ingredients on where you could buy French things. And then it was your bedroom and just different parts of the home. And then it was clothing and different things. So I did that and I was still selling stuff online, thankfully, because that was going okay. Um, Started a calendar, which was really fun. Just Mm. came up with this idea and that's been able to take off and wrapping paper note cards so like I was able to expand my product line and really focus on the business and just engage with people we were all stuck at home so it was building this community and making sure everyone was healthy mentally and Mm -hmm. encouraged and looking forward to the future and helping 
I'm just really grateful for that community that I've built. Yes, but you started it before COVID ever happened. Oh, yeah. I'm hearing that, and this is really a good tip for everyone, is really to go to your followers, if you want to call it that, and ask what they want, what they're interested in, watch what they click on, because that information or that data in many ways tells you what you need to do more of. Because otherwise, writing and photographing in like a black hole, like you're. Oh yeah, yeah. No, a hundred percent. I'm a stats girl, like through and through. Mm. My first job outside of college, I was a department store manager at a department store in Chicago. So I had to analyze my sales. It was like, what's trending? What's popular? Yeah, this style is popular. And I was such a numbers girl back then. Then I just apply all that to my business. So I'm like, okay, if this is popular, like if this style of photo is popular, like bathroom art for whatever reason, like no one can ever figure out. It's so odd. So I have this hot cold that I shot in an apartment in Paris in 2013, which is still one of my best sellers, which is, the yeah, they're the faucets. Oh my so God. I, sh- I shot one and then another and you piece them together. So it's like people just need bathroom art they don't know what to put in which I feel like people always ask me they're like are you offended that I have this image in my bathroom and I'm like no because it probably gets more view time than anything else like if if it's in your hallway or your entry like someone's gonna walk into your house and be like oh do you remember that photo and they're like no but if it's in your bathroom you're like oh yeah it's so crazy So it's like constantly, I'm like, what else can I do? And like kitchen art is really big. Mm -hmm. So it's like finding what people need and what people want and that void. But something fun that I do is I write these uh, Sunday links called Links I Love. Oh, yes. I saw that. So idea. Thank you. So when I was younger, my grandmother, we had a great relationship. We were best friends. So she would find these articles in the newspaper, cut them out, put a post-it note on it with notes and mail it to me. She's like, this exhibit in New York is something I find of interest. You should check it out, that sort of thing. So links I love is like a digital format of that. Yes. So I comb through so many websites every single day to like put this together on Sundays. But it's all these, it's an educational, but inspiring as well. So it's like, teaching people travel tips or like ways to fix their hair or comfortable shoes or just different things. So it's like you wouldn't spend five minutes on it if you're busy and you just want to scroll through and like bookmark them. Or like I have people that really read them with a glass of wine or I say like a coffee and a croissant because that's my favorite. Yes. So it's just a way to engage this entire community that spread out all across the world to read something at the same time and be like uplifted and learn and educated, I guess, and inspired. Yeah. So it's so fun. And it's also continuing her legacy as well, which is is really special. So first of all, the blog industry to some extent, or the blog, I don't know what the word is. Mm -hmm. But I said to someone, I'm thinking of starting a blog. And they said, well, aren't blogs dead? And you're shaking your head. So if someone was interested in starting a blog, if you feel blogs are still make sense from a business standpoint, 
What mm-hmm. advice would you have for someone that was thinking of doing setting something up? Well, I guess that's like a whole can of worms. But I <laughs> honestly, I think I wrote a blog post before the pandemic, and it was why every business needs a blog. And I feel like nowadays, every business thinks they need an Instagram, which I feel like they do. When I'm checking out a hotel or a restaurant, I always scroll down to the bottom of their website. And I'm like, okay, visually, you want to see what the hotel rooms look like or what the food looks like. Is it appetizing? Does the menu sound good? But then does the food look good? Mm -hmm. So I totally understand why a restaurant or a hotel would want to be on social media because it's visual. But in terms of a business, having a blog, there's so much that you can educate anyone thinking about interacting or spending money with that business by having a blog. I keep a lot of my personal life private, but I still think that you can give part of who you are as an identity and personality and kind of educate people throughout that. Like, I love coffee. You kind of pick different things. Like if you're a gardener or if you love sports, you can still spin that characteristic and make yourself relatable to whoever is approaching you as a business. But I think in terms of SEO search, Mm -hmm. the amount of traffic that you can drive to your website, which could then from your website, give you traffic to go to your restaurant, your hotel, Coaching programs. Um, yeah, your, coaching yeah. program, your organizational, your cooking tips. There's so much like real estate. I don't understand why people in real estate, like, they're on Instagram and they're trying to tell you all the stuff. But I'm like, tell me about the town that you sell houses in. How are you knowledgeable? Are you going to the restaurants? Are you going to the parks that the kids are going to play at? Like, what's the community like? There's so much that we still need to be educated on and have perspective on. I feel like I also think if Instagram dies tomorrow, I'm not someone that's going to get on TikTok. I can't do it. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Um, I dance every day. But I think no your dog way. could go on TikTok though. I've been watching Henri. <laughs> he would be a star on TikTok. Oh my God. Such a personality. Yeah. But I feel like, you don't own your followers on these platforms, on TikTok, Instagram, whatever else you're like thinking. Facebook. Some, yeah, Facebook. They change the algorithms. You could have 50,000 followers, 100,000 followers, and your reach just drops overnight. Right. And then you're like, I could be doing X, but now my reach is so much smaller. And I've spent, I have like a amount of time that I allot for Instagram every day for mm-hmm. my mental health. I started it this year because it was just too much. I mean, the amount of DMs that I get from people, it's like, they're not emailing. They're just like, what? It's like an immediate text. Like, I'm in Paris today. Like, where should I go eat? And I was like, hi, I don't know anything about you. What kind of food do you want? What what your budget is? Like, I'm not an on-demand response. (laughs) Yeah, but then I'm a nice person. So I'm like, then I write them back. Right. And then it's so time consuming where I'm like, where can I spend what's most effective in my time? And I honestly think putting energy into writing a blog, putting that text, because if you're writing a blog about Paris or Italy or real estate or coaching or anything, Mm -hmm. those terms are searchable. What you're writing about as a topic is searchable through Google, through any sort of 
online search platform. Instagram, you cannot. I could find a post that you wrote two weeks ago. And then it's like, oh, Sherry wrote something, but I can't remember what it was. Or I liked this photo, but I don't know who did it because like I'm stuck. Absolutely right. So a hundred percent, you should be investing. If you're on Instagram for an hour a day, two hours a day, it's like, why can't you write a post for an hour? Mm -hmm. And then having all that energy, the photos, if you don't have good photos, invest in having someone take photos of you. You can have eight different outfits in one day and just bang them out and then use them progressively for like an entire year. But you have to show your face. You have to show some sort of personality on who you are because you have to be recognizable for people to trust you. Yeah, that's what relatability that you talked about. Yeah. You know, because yeah, that's yeah. something that people do want to I think especially today, because there is so much like, yeah. why should I choose this one versus uh-huh. that one? You know, right. But then you also have like friends on the internet, because mm-hmm. you trust someone. And that trust is so important. And I talk about this a lot, because I'm giving recommendations for like shoes and hotels and mm-hmm. restaurants and whatever else. And if brands are sending me, oh, I'll pay you X amount of dollars to promote this. And then all of a sudden I get paid and then the shoe falls apart or they hated their food. That trust that you've built up for years and years goes away in a second. So how do you choose? Because you have a broad cross-section of products, that of things that you like, home goods to clothing to skincare. How do you choose those things? Gosh, I'm a nut about skincare. Beautiful skin. So whatever you're doing. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. A lot of research. Like I'll buy as much as I can. In terms of skincare, I actually told my fiance to like put a stop on me. I was like, I cannot buy any more serums until I finish these (laughs) that are in here, or like these eye creams, face masks, like everything. But then you have to try it out. And I can't recommend something that I don't know. But I also like have a budget. I don't have an unlimited amount of cash that I can buy like six pairs of shoes. So I think about that. I want to invest and I want to have just like the French do, like have one good quality pair of shoes that I wear every single day or like every other day versus having something that's going to fall apart at the end of the season. So really trusting certain brands. Like I always talk about Cezanne because I bought their stuff maybe five, six years ago and that stuff's still in my closet, which I feel like I buy something at Nordstrom's or like J crew and it's a seasonal item where when sweater season is over, you're like, okay, it's either donate or trash. Like you can't like you wash and wear it and it's done. Right. So I've just been happy with the Ceylon products over the years and I just Mm -hmm. am able to continue. So like most of my closet is Ceylon because that stuff has never had to be donated or disposed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Which is great. So it's like a lot of trial and error on figuring out what I love and then sticking with those brands and then talking about them. And I feel like for anything, you repeat yourself. What is it? Six to eight times, maybe more before it like resonates with someone where they're like, oh, maybe I should try that. Yes. The first time that you introduce something where they're like, I'm unsure of that, or like, I don't know that brand, or I don't want to spend my money on that right now. But maybe six months down the line, when you do have that money, you're like, okay, 
I'm ready to invest in that one thing. Yeah. But you're also, Rebecca, talking about the relationship that you have with your followers. And that's a consistent theme throughout our conversation today Mm -hmm. that you value their opinion and you also feel as though you have to continually bring them value that you never take them for granted. Oh yeah. No, I never take them for granted. That's why I love Sundays because so many people look forward to it and then they can read with me or like get a glimpse into like my brain on what I'm thinking, what I'm reading, what I find interesting or feel like they might find interesting. That's where the pandemic got hard because I'm a hugger. And like every time I see someone on the street, they're like, oh my gosh, they'll run into me. They're like, I read your blog. And like immediately it was like, I want to hug you as like a thank you. I have not to shake your hand. And then it's like with the pandemic, you're like, should I hug you? You know, we were so separate for so long. We were. But, you know, now I'm starting to do in-person events or just get out more and I'm running into people again, which is so nice. There was one woman I was in Boston just in July and she sent me a DM. We've been talking for a while and she was like, oh, I just missed you. And she was like, I'm a nurse across from where you stayed. And I was like, I'm coming back next year. Like, I want to buy you a coffee. Like the fact that she's a nurse, like I value that so much. And we've spoken just through dms for so long like i really i'm like yeah let's keep in touch and i'll definitely do that i love the community that i built i don't call them followers because i think that's such a weird term it's readers and a community but they've been so supportive for so long i like kept my relationship with my fiance private and he still wants to remain private but like we finally were able to share that i was engaged and the comments they were so, so sweet. And then now they're like so engaged on how's the wedding planning going? Like what's happening? All these different things. They just like want to know. And you know, I found love later in life. And I think that that's okay too. And just mm-hmm. being relatable on that end as well, because it doesn't happen on that timeline that exactly. everyone. Yeah. That we think we have to. Yes. But you've kind of been off that timeline you varied off of whatever that preconceived idea of what is success all along the way. You were an entrepreneur when no one that was your friends, close group of friends were entrepreneurs. You were starting blogs and nobody was starting blogs, hardly anybody, at least in your circles. So, exactly. So where is everyday Parisian going? Like, how do you see this evolving? Or do you do that? Do you plan that far out? I don't I obviously I have goals. Yeah. I don't know if you want me to share that with you. You think people would be interested in? Please do share whatever you're comfortable. Um, yeah. yeah. So right now, as I said, like social media isn't as big of a concern as mine as like building. So I'm teaching myself a lot about SEO, search engine optimization, just to be reachable and I guess to have like a increased readership. Is like a big goal of mine, but I joke that I'm blogging for the Olympics because the Olympics are going to be in Paris in 2024. So I'm trying to get as much traction as I can leading up to that. That is people are planning for the Olympics or like the increase in awareness of the city Mm -hmm. as like kids are watching it, families are watching it, couples, they're like, oh, maybe we should plan a trip to Paris because we haven't been that sort of thing. I still think the city is going to like continue to grow in tourism in the next couple of years. 
And I want to be one of the top resources for that. Yeah. I'd love to have a book. Yes. I don't know if it's sharing my story and how I've evolved and what I've learned in that process, or if it's like more of a how-to book on living the French life in the US and different things that I've learned or different tips for Parisian life when you visit, that sort of thing. But I think I have a book in me at some point. <laughs> you know, one, because I love all those ideas. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. I hope, but in some regards, maybe you have a bigger audience with writing a blog and having this readership of just educating people through that digital platform where it's easier to write posts per day versus putting it all on paper and having it concise into one thing that can kind of expire because things change. I just want the blog to grow. I just find it so fun. My fiance and I joke a lot that I want to be the next Ina or the next Dory. Dory Greenspan. I love her. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Why not? I want Dory to invite me to dinner. That's like one of <laughs> that's like that's, that's a, in the universe. That's a personal goal. But then I'm like, oh gosh. I probably would be like shell shocked because I've met her before and I like love her so much that I'm like, maybe we shouldn't have dinner because I'll probably chatter ear off. We're like, Oh Lord. That I'm like, maybe we'll cook together. Yeah. You know, then it's like interactive where I won't be like, it's Dory, but I love to cook and bake. And I feel like the pandemic I've learned so much and now my like meals keep evolving and I like to teach people and, that's what I don't know it's been really fun so I feel like progressively I'd love to do more videos and teaching people how to prepare healthy fresh inspired meals just we've had some like really great fun meals that we don't eat out that much anymore because we eat out and I spend a bunch of money and I'm like what did we get right well doesn't make sense you know yeah and sometimes you don't know what's in it so, oh, so yeah. on that theme, one of the questions or the last questions I always ask my podcast guests is if you were setting up or hosting a dinner party, where would it be and who would you want to invite? Gosh, that's so hard. I would definitely say like an apartment in Paris and maybe Ina cooks, maybe Dory cooks. Yeah. But I think. Honestly, having my family there. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, uh, just like everyone, we've had some like trips and stuff mm-hmm. over the years. And one of my sister's favorite memories is just like having either rotisserie chicken or like a cheese board and just like ever nibble. But I feel like the best meals I've had have been around like a dinner table with friends or family in yeah. that setting. So I just feel like being able to bring my family to Paris, mm. everyone just centered around a table and like a really good meal would probably be the most important to me. Yeah, I love that. That that community, you're bringing in so much of what you've talked about. And you talk about in your blog, you know, what is French? What What is a French culture and around food? And so much of it is good food, lengthy meals where we're not necessarily eating that much, but there's all this conversation about all sorts of things and just being together, the importance. Yeah, yeah I love that. That's beautiful. Well, Rebecca, thank you. Thank you thank for you. joining us today. Yeah. I hope I 
educated someone or inspired someone to do something new? I think everyone listening to this is if they're not already subscribers to Everyday Parisian, they're going to run over there right now and subscribe because this is just fun, absolutely fun. And also, it really changes our lives because part of what you described, you take the best from the French culture and insert it into our American culture to some extent that makes us healthier. Why not take the best of the best of the best? And Definitely then we have better lives. So exactly. Yeah. So thank you so much. I thank you so much. Yes. I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rebecca as much as I did. We even got to meet Henri, her adorable and much loved Bernie doodle. Love it. (laughs) Rebecca's Everyday Parisian blog is a perfect example of the continued success of blogs, especially those blogs that are assisted with beautiful photography. All Rebecca's information is below in the show notes, and I am sure you are going to want to subscribe if you haven't already, because you will love Everyday Parisian as much as I do. Thank you again for joining us today, and I look forward to seeing you, hearing you, getting your comments on our next Extraordinary Women podcast. Abiento.